How you all doing? What a blessing it is for me always to be here. Um, today, the topic that was assigned to me, um, it's actually, this is literally Eric inviting me to preach. I'm usually the one that puts the calendar together, but in this occasion, Eric was the one that told me, hey, you should come to Tri Village to preach this. Really grateful for that. Um, and I think that part of the reason why the Lord, in his sovereignty, decided that I should preach this sermon today is not so much because I'm a worshiper. Um, I believe that we all worshipers, as I'm going to explain in a second. But it's not so much about because I'm an expert in this topic, but because I've been hanging around with a man that is an expert in this topic. So I've known Sergio for 20-something years already, and he has led me into worship. He has talked to me, talked to me about worship. I have seen him worshiping. So I'm not the expert on the topic, but I hang around with a person that is an expert on the topic. So that's why I'm here today. Um, today we're going to read a, a, a section of the scripture that I actually find really, really amazing. It's one, I could say, that is, it, it, it's, a, it's a passage in the Bible that has spoken to me quite a few times in different ways. So I'm going to please ask you to stand. Uh, we're going to be reading from Psalm 147. Uh, Psalm 147, we're going to put uh, the text on the screen for you. And it's a long section, so you please uh, just bear with me. Psalm 147, and the, the word of the Lord says this. How good is it to sing praises to our God? Oh, praise the Lord. How is it it is to sing praises to our God? How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Verse 7. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. Um, he supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Verse 12. Exalt the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and he scatters the frost uh, like ashes. He hurls down his hell like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Let's say that last sentence together. Praise the Lord. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. We know that worshiping is not an option. You created us to be worshipers. So please speak to us. By the power and the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, please speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, 
you may take a seat now. So for those of you that don't know me, my name once again is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors for the church. Um, and, and I have this conviction. Um, I, my conviction is that the world is divided into two different types of people. The ones that worship God and the, wor- the ones that worship something else. There are only two kinds of people in the world. The ones that worship God and the ones that worship something else. Worshiping then is not an option. We are all worshipers by nature. Every time we are impacted by something, every time we find something beautiful or amazing or just magnificent, the natural reaction for any human being is to respond in some sort of adoration, to express admiration. Anything that captures your heart and your imagination will drive you to respond somehow. Worship is not an option. It's about what we worship. And I want to make my case by just giving you some examples. And I'm going to ask you to have some, some sort of participation to see if you are listening to what I'm saying. Right? Um, so if you are a parent, can you please raise your hand? Okay. If you are a parent, the first time you saw your baby, or your first baby, maybe all your babies, <laughs> but at least the first one, Didn't you react in such a way that it looked like an act of adoration? Didn't you get excited when you see that that baby for the first time? I remember my first time. I remember going through the pain of delivery. I remember being there with my wife. I do remember, though, seeing my daughter, and this is full confession, I always thought that newborn babies, they're not that cute. Yep, that was my conviction back in the days. Until I saw my baby for the first time. I remember calling one of my friends and saying, hey, I, I know, because I had that reputation in church. Uh, so I, re- I remember talking to one of my friends and, and saying, hey, you remember how I, I always tell you that the firstborn babies, like the, the, right when they're born, they're not that cute? I'm just going to tell you that I just saw the first baby that is beautiful. It's my baby. It is an act of adoration in a way. It's similar to what worship looks like. So if you have, let's say, if you have a pre- uh, um How many of you guys like sports? Raise your hand. Listen, every time your team wins, that's that's like an act of adoration. If you raise your voice, if you clap, if you laugh, if you do something, that looks a lot like adoration. That looks a lot like worship. If you're an artist and you admire something beautiful, that reaction is kind of an act of adoration. Is you worshiping creation in a way. Every time... Now, this one is more personal. For those of you that are married, do you remember? Do you remember that day when you got married? I mean, some of you might not want to remember, but you got married. And I remember clearly, and this is one of the benefits that I have as a pastor, I get to see the groom, and I get to see his reaction as soon as the bride comes in. And some men cry, even though they try to hold it. Some men really get excited. Some men have a really hard time breathing after that. But it's this thing, this shock, when you experience and and your mind and your heart and everything about you is captured by something that is beautiful and amazing, and you react. That's kind of what worship is. That's kind of what adoration looks like. And the reason why I'm explaining all of this is because we all, by nature, are worshipers. It is the natural reaction of someone that looks something beautiful and amazing to react, 
to a certain degree, to be controlled by that thing and respond to it. We are all worshipers. Worship is not an option. What I want us to see today is that Christian worship is very peculiar. That Christian worship is, is different to everything and everyone else. The Christian worship, there's a very specific thing or some very specific things about the Christian worship. So today, we're going to talk about three things. Uh, we're going to put them on the screen. We're going to talk about the act of worship, the heart of worship, and the source of worship. The act of worship, the heart of worship, and the source of worship. Do me a favor. If you have a person next to you, um, can you please ask the question, are you a worshiper? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Now, the reason why you can do it with the person next to you is because you have social distance. You don't have to worry about anything, and that's your family most likely. All right? So let's talk about the first point, the act of worship. Psalm 147 um, starts with a phrase. I'm going to put it on the screen on verse 1. Um, that, appears five, that appears in the last five uh, psalms, in the last five books, uh, last five chapters of the book of Psalms. Praise the Lord appears from, verse, uh, from chapter 146 all the way to chapter 150. The last five books in the book of Psalms, chapters in the book of Psalms. Now, for example, uh, Psalm 146 is saying praise the Lord and he's calling it, this is the, the psalmist calling himself to praise the Lord. It's almost like if this person is convincing himself that he must praise the Lord. When you look at Psalm 147, which is the one we just read, and Psalm 149, that invitation is extended to the people of God. So in Psalm 146, he's reminding himself that he ought to praise the Lord. In Psalms 147 and 149, he's reminding people that they should praise the Lord, God's people. When you go to Psalm 148, the same phrase, praise the Lord, is extended to the entire universe. And it says that the universe praises the Lord. And therefore, in Psalm, in Psalm 150, it's almost like the summary of everything. And it says that everything that is alive should praise the Lord. Now, the reason why this is so important is because right from the beginning, it tells us that the entire universe, the creation, by design, worships, worship the Lord. What we're doing as Christians... And I want you to pay attention to this one. What we're doing as Christians is joining the universe and joining nature in what they are already doing. Worshiping is us doing what the rest of creation is already doing. Because creation itself recognizes that this creator is worthy of our adoration. So the question, of course, is what is worship. See, the phrase praise the Lord is actually one word in the original. It's the word hallelujah, where we get hallelujah from. That's not a word, look at it, that's not a word for charismatics. It's a word that Christians should use, amen? amen? So when you use the word hallelujah, it's you using the word that the Bible gives you to express this worship uh, attitude toward God. Now, the word hallelujah is made up of two words, made up of two words. The first word is halal, which means to admire or to praise or to boast about something. So all these examples that I gave you before about a parent and friends and all of that stuff, that's boasting. You boast about the things that you love. You boast about the things that you like. You boast about the things that you find beautiful. You boast about the things that matter to you. That's what praise is. 
Now, the second word, uh, interesting because in the text, you find the word praise, uh, pleasant, which is also the word beautiful. Or it's also the word lovely and delightful. So we praise those things that we find lovely, delightful, and beautiful. Halal. Now, the second word of the word hallelujah is the word Yah, which is where we get the name Yahweh. Which that in itself is extremely important because it's the most personal name God has. And it's a covenant name. We're going to come back to that later on. But let me put it this way. Worship then is to recognize and admire the beauty, the loveliness, the delightfulness of God. A God that is personal, is a God that is a covenant God. And we respond to it by boasting and bragging about him in singing. In the context of what we're doing right now. Worship is about everything that you do in life. But for today, I want us to focus in the concept of singing. Boasting and bragging about God because of who he is and what he does. Because he's beauty, uh, he's beautiful and lovely and delightful. Because he's God. Now, I told you that everyone by nature is a worshiper. Whatever we perceive to be lovely and delightful and beautiful, we must respond to it. What is interesting, though, about Psalm 147 is that it's about community. That's why it says, our God is us as a community of faith responding to God together. It is recognizing who God is. It is admiring who God is. It's to recognize that he's beauty and lovely and delightful, and we respond to it. You know why? The word that is used in verse 1, if you go back over there, is the word fitting. It's what fits him. It's to give God what he deserves. Therefore, to not worship is an offense to God. To not worship is to not what give God what he deserves. We give God what is fitting to him. That's why I have such a hard time. Listen, worship many times has to do with your personality in the sense of you worship the way you are. Worship sometimes has to do with the way you grew up, with the leaders you admire, all of that stuff. That plays a role in the way we worship. But at the end of the day, it's not so much about your preferences or what the way you are or how you are or what you learn. At the end of the day, it has to do with us acknowledging who God, God is and responding to, us, responding to him in three ways. Emotionally, intellectually, and volitionally. This is what it means. We respond to God in adoration with our emotions with our head, and with our will. That's what true biblical worship looks like. And I want to show it to you because that's not something that I'm making up. This is something that I get from the text. So, for example, in verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. And then it says, How good. Now, listen, the word in the original is an emotional word. It's not a cognitive word. It's not about what you think up here. It's an emotional word. It is to be happy. It is to be joyful. It says, uh, we praise the Lord because it is good. And we sing praises to God. And then he says that it's also pleasant. I told you that the word pleasant also means beautiful. 
But I'm going to argue later on, and we're going to come back to that later on, is that the word beautiful, is, it has to do with the intellect. That to find God beautiful, you must know and understand who God is and what God does. So this is not the emotional part of worship. This is the intellectual part of worship. But then look at verse 7. It says, sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God and on the harp. Now the word sing there is a command. It's not an option. And therefore it means that to worship is to surrender your will to his will. So you got emotions and you got the intellect and you got your will. Verse 12 though. And those of you that are more charismatic, you're going to love that verse. And those of you that are not as charismatic, you're not going to like it. Verse 12 says, extol the Lord Jerusalem. Now, that's an interesting word because different translations use different words to, to replace that. But the word extol, it's actually an emotional word that is full of knowledge. It's almost like a combination of the two things that I'm arguing here. Because it means to highly praise God. To be expressive about God. So it's not about you restraining yourself. I mean, I think that we got to restrain ourselves because of COVID right now. But, but in a sense, it's not, you restri- it's, it's not about you restricting yourself, but actually expressing to the Lord whatever you think you need to express. Now, if you want to know there's psalms that talk, psalm that talks about that, you might want to read Psalm 95. Because I think that that one is, it talks about the same thing. So let me give you a few verses there just for you to keep in mind. Verse 1 says, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. That's a verse that I like. Verse 2 says, extol him with music and song. Verse 6 says, come let us bow down in worship and let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Notice, emotion, intellect, and will. You only surrender your will when you kneel before the Lord. But then he tells you that this is not just an emotional thing. He gives us the reason why we worship like that. And the verse says, for the Lord is great, for he is our God. The reason why I think this is important in church today is because the church has been divided between what we will call the charismatics or the ones that follow emotionalism, like people would say, right? And the, word, the ones that are more into the intellectual side. The ones that are heady, if you will. And this is where people would abuse this concept of praising the Lord, either in the spirit or in truth. And I really don't understand, so if that's your case, please forgive me, but I really don't understand where people get that from. So this is the thing, for those of you that are more, actually this is family, right? How many of you guys are more on the emotional part? Please raise your hand. Like four of you guys, really. <laughs> All right, so some of us come to church, right? And, and, um, when, and, and you know, when we think about, uh, I got to feel something, right? Because emotions, it makes you feel something. Right? And maybe you're looking for, for something, some sort of experience, right? Uh, some, some, something that would happen to you, in a sense. So when you hear all things in the church service, like confessions and hymns and written prayers, for example, you would say, my goodness, this church is boring. You know, this is, this, is not a, this, is a place in which, this is a place in which the presence of God is not there. 
I'm getting all these, these things from things that I've heard about our church in the past. There's no joy in that place. Can't feel anything. You know what the problem is with that, though? If that is the only site in which, in which you live, is that there are so many expressions of joy in the Bible, expressions of worship in the Bible, in which complaint is an act of worship. And lamentation is an act of worship. And silence is an act of worship. So the best example I have here is in, in Revelations. The presence of God is so powerful that heaven is quiet for half an hour. That's the problem when you only lean on one end. But the other extreme is also an issue. If you are more like in the intellectual part, how many of you guys are more on that one? If you are more on that end, uh, anything that is expressive, anything that is kind of what we call animated worship, anything that is spontaneous, something that just may happen, you would say, man, there's no order in that place. That's all emotions. There's no substance. No reverence for the Lord. Once again, this is stuff that I've heard. So why are these people raising their hands and closing their eyes? My wife was having a conversation with someone that is part of our church, this really lovely lady. I'm not going to give you the name just in case she happens to hear this, right? But she, she means well. She was telling, she was asking my wife. I don't know how they got to there. They work together. And she asked my wife, I don't understand. Why is it that people close their eyes when they're worshiping God? Now, I don't think that there's a theological explanation. Like, there's no one verse that says, you shall close your eyes. But does it matter? Because there are some things that you enjoy much better when you close your eyes. It helps you concentrate more. So this is the thing. The problem with the people that is just about head ignores... How many ref, uh, references we find in the book of Psalms about bowing down and kneeling and weeping and dancing and shouting and clapping and raising hands? I think that what Psalm 147 says is that if any of these positions is separated from the other, you're both wrong. I think that the argument of Psalm 147 is that we ought to worship the Lord as we are, but we worship the Lord with our emotions and with our intellects. That we worship the Lord with our emotions and our head. Actually, I want to argue, and I hope you remember this, that it is only when your emotions and the intellect come together that you actually, your will is impacted. It is only when you allow your emotions and your head to come together that your will is impacted. You know, the first time I heard about this was C.S. Lewis. And he was not talking about uh, worshiping and singing. He was talking about prayer. But I remember when I read that for the first time, I said, well, that, that applies to worship as well. So he's got this book called The Screwtape uh, Screw Letters, which is, some of you are familiar with that. It's, it's the devil, you know, writing Coaching his nephew, supposedly. It's fiction. But he's making this connection between your, your body, the position of your body, and the reality of your heart. And this is what he says. 
At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. For they constantly forget what you must always remember, he says. That they are animals and that what their bodies do affect their souls. I want to apply that to worship because it's the same principle. I, I want to argue that you all agree with me whether, whether you acknowledge it or not. The position of your body really affects the attitude of your heart. If you don't believe me, and if you're a parent, you know that that is true. I remember talking to my mom. She's over there. She's giving me some sort of instruction or scolding me for something because, you know, it's part of life. And if I would just be like, yeah. Man, that will be my last day with these things on. <laughs> because she knew that the position of my body is a reflection of my heart. Why would it be different in the context of corporate worship? Or private worship? See, I'm not calling you to be charismatic. And I'm not calling you to be just people of your head. I'm calling you to be biblical. I'm calling you to see what the Bible says. I'm calling you to see that Psalm 147 is inviting you to find freedom in using your head and your emotions to worship the Lord. Come on. That's what it is, an act of worship. So in summary, just in case you didn't pay attention for the last 10 minutes, is this. (laughs) Worship is to recognize... And admire the beauty, the loveliness, the delightfulness of God. Which is a covenant and personal God. And to respond to him by boasting, bragging, praising, singing to him with your emotions, your intellect, and your will. That's what worship is. You know how crazy would it be? If we actually practice this, I'm not, once again, I'm not calling anybody to do something weird. I'm calling you to embrace what the Bible says. Let the spirit work. You know, so for me, I was thinking about that before I came here, because usually, I don't know if I'm warming up to the songs usually, but my first songs is kind of how I preach too. So it's, I'm usually standing this way and I'm singing, I'm listening and I'm singing, right? And as time goes by, I just start moving a little bit. I don't do that on purpose, man. It just happens, right? And the more I do it, eventually I just do these things, you know, every now and then, right? By the end of the service, I'm just going crazy, right? <laughs> but, but the idea is that I never want to separate. It's, I never want to separate what I'm hearing about God and what we're declaring about God from what I feel. Amen. I want that to affect me to such a degree that I'm free to worship. You know, nobody's looking at you when you worship, right? <laughs> and right now, because you got that mask on, nobody recognizes you anyway. <laughs> All right, that's point number one. Point number two, the heart of worship. What I, what I mean by this one here is what is the motive and what is the driver? Now, I got to tell you that the driver and the motive cannot be the emotion. It cannot be that you're seeking for some sort of emotion. I, I think that's dangerous. Because anything could do that. 
I think that they're driving that motive and the reason why you respond, and that's why I call it the, the heart of worship, is who God is and what God does. If that doesn't move you, you don't know God. So remember I told you in verse 1, it says, it calls us to praise the Lord. It says, because it is pleasant. Calls us to praise the Lord, not because he's useful, but because he's beautiful. He calls us to respond to the Lord because he's fitting to him, right? And this is where I'm going to spend some time about your head, thinking and talking about your head and the intellect and the uh, cognitive capacity to be engaged with the truths of God. So in Psalm 147, from verses 2 all the way to the end, it tells you and it shows you why is it that people respond the way people respond when they worship God. And it tells you that when you embrace the truths of God, you will worship. That when you embrace the truth of God, you will worship. That's one of the issues here um, with modern culture. Actually, I would say that this is one of the issues with the modern uh, spiritual culture. Part of the issue is that people are looking for an experience. Divorce from truth. So when you look at the, uh, uh, the popular culture, you would see that what they do is they grab truth from this one, and they grab truth from this one, and they grab truth from this one, and they create their own thing because when they create their own thing, that's when they feel something. Actually, two weeks ago, I was watching. You guys know who Walter Mercado is? All right, if you don't know who that is, I don't know in what world you've been living. But this guy became famous in Latin America and then actually in the United States. It's a psychic, right? There's a documentary in Netflix, right? Um, and it's interesting when you hear the interviews and the way he talks. He talks about, you know, how he created this message of love and peace for everybody. And at the end of the things, he would always do something like that, <laughs> right? And he actually explains and he says that the way he did, he grabbed a little bit of this religion and a little bit of this religion and a little bit of this religion and he created his own thing. Now, the guy in the documentary, he's, he's uh, almost passing away. He's super sick. And he's having this conversation with his sister. And he starts talking about the reincarnation. And he's asking his sister. Now, this is the expert, but he's asking his sister, do you believe in the reincarnation? And he's actually trying to find out if this is something that he believes. This is what is interesting, though. That you keep on watching, and later on, he's doing an interview, and he's proclaiming that he believes with all his heart and the reincarnation. Now, this is the problem. He's claiming to believe something that he does not believe, or at least that he's not sure about. So if the reincarnation makes him feel good, then he goes for it. But the following second, he feels something else, and then he goes for something different. It's inconsistent. It's a broken philosophy of life. Because if everything is true, nothing is true. Now, when it comes to Christianity, the reason why we worship the way we worship, and the reason why we allow our emotions to go crazy, if you will, and the reason why we got to think hard, is because of the truths of who God is and what he does. The reason why God is beautiful is because this out here, coming from the scripture, leads us to believe that he's beautiful. Now, I want to show you three things just from this psalm that tells you why is it that we believe that God is beautiful. Because God redeems, because God cares, and because God commands. There's much more than that. 
But at least from this psalm, you can see three things. That God redeems, God cares, and God commands. Look at, for example, and that God redeems. That will be verse 2, verse 3, and verse 6 right now. It says, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. The Lord sustains the humble. Now, notice here that this is a God that is a God that is a God of compassion. It's a God that is redeeming and is saving and bringing freedom. When I use the word redeem, I'm using it as a synonym of the word freedom, rescuing and releasing. And it tells you that the God that we worship is a God that redeems. Now, actually, if you keep on reading, it says verse 4 and 5. I'm going to show it to you in a second. It tells you, it shows you this God that is powerful, that is in control and that knows it all. But that he uses that power to redeem his people. Verse 4. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So it gives you this description of who God is. And how God uses these attributes for the sake of his people. That's truth number one. Truth number two. It shows you the God who cares. Verse 8 and 9. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain. Verse 9. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. And he shows you this God. That is a God of compassion. That is a God that is involved in creation. That is a God that is not indifferent See, I think that when the psalmist is writing this, it's not just to inform us that God cares about this material creation, which he does. I think that the psalmist is doing something similar to what Jesus did. When he's arguing with us about why is it that we fear and worry so much. You remember that text? He says, why do you fear and why do you worry and why do you have anxiety? Doesn't God care about nature? Doesn't God care about this, 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 and this? Isn't that the part when he says, doesn't he care about little birds? And then at the end he says, but you have much more value than that. This is what the psalmist is doing. The same thing here. If you want to know how much God cares for you, look at what he does for creation. And if you are created in the image of God, don't you think that he's also going to care for you? Our God is a God that cares. That's truth number two. Truth number three is that God, the God we have, is the God that commands. Verses 15 and then verse 18. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. And then later on he's talking about eyes and all that stuff. And then he says in verse 18, he sends his word and melts them. Now the reason why I chose this one here. Is because the psalmist here, here is really intentional about using the word word. He says that everything submits to God's word. That when God speaks, something happens. That God creates by the power of his word. Amen. That nothing can resist the power of his word. Amen. That's one of the beautiful things about the, the thing that I do. I don't have to be good looking. I don't have to be charismatic. I don't have to be eloquent. I don't have to do any of that. All I have to do is to talk about this. And his word will do his work. 
There's one passage long ago. I was doing my devotional. And I remember I was thinking about, you know, everything that we have to do for those of us that proclaim the word. Uh, and I run into Psalm 97 verse 5. And, and if you pay attention to scripture, the reason why the word of God is so powerful is because the word of God is always tied up to his presence. Where God is, he speaks. And when he speaks, it's because God is there. And Psalm 97 verse 5 says this. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Now I'm reading that and I automatically started thinking about Mount Everest. 97,000 feet high. And God's word is so powerful and his presence is so powerful that he speaks and that thing melts. This is the reason why we worship the Lord. We have no wimpy God. He redeems. He cares. He commands. He's beautiful because of what he does and what he is. It's fitting to him that we worship him. You know, our God is uh, uh, omniscient. He knows everything there is to know. He's omnipotent. He could do whatever he wants. He's omnipresent. He's all over the place, wherever he wants to, however he wants to. He is a God that is holy, unchanging, all-wise, infinite, self-sufficient, faithful, good, just, merciful, gracious, loving, and glorious. This is the reason why we worship. He redeems, he cares, and he commands. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not, wise, let not the wise boast in their wisdom. Remember, boast is the word worship. Let not the wise worship their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast on their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding and know me. That they understand me and know me. That is God. This is why we worship. It is your mind. It is your emotions. It is your affections. It is your, your will involved in recognizing who God is. Check this out. God does not need your worship. Okay. God does not need your worship. He's self-sufficient, you know. He delights in your worship. But we need to worship him. So we find him delightful. And that's like a million dollar thought right there. (laughs) I, I, I came to the conclusion that when I don't worship him, the only person that is being heard is me. I actually see worship as an evidence of God's grace. As a means of grace. Because every time we worship him, we're doing something that he deserves and is fitting to him and all that stuff. But every time we worship, I am being reminded that worship is for him, but at the same time, it's for my benefit. That I want to honor him, but it reminds me of who he is. That I'm boasting about him, but at the same time, I am convincing myself of his splendor and beauty and loveliness. You, you are taking from you 
You, you are depraving yourself of one of the greatest blessings when you don't know how to worship. It's a means of grace. It's something that the Lord is giving you. So we honor him, but for your own edification. Remember, if you don't worship him, you will worship something else. This is the problem with idolatry, right? The problem with idolatry is worship. Listen, if God is not your redeemer, something else is going to play as your redeemer. It's going to be the way you, you look, or it's going to be your job, or it's going to be a title, or it's going to be something. If God is not your redeemer, you're going to try to find a redeemer somewhere else. If God is not your redeemer, you're going to try to find security in something else. You're going to try to find freedom in something else. But listen, we all know that, that not, none of that stuff is enough. See, if God is not the one that you really know and believe that he cares for you, if you don't believe that, then you're going to try to find that somewhere else. You're going to try to find that in romantic love. You're going to try to find that in friendship. You're going to try to find that in family. But at the end of the day, we know that even for the best of us, we don't care enough. You know, I remember that, that song by uh, Michael Jackson. Um, he says something like, you know, I'll be there for you. Uh, there you go. <laughs> you know, that's such a lie. Because even if we want to, we can't. I've told my daughters, I would always be there for you. And I say because I really want to. But you know that if I die, that's it? I, I cannot be there for them the way I want to. But God can. If you don't find your security and your significance and beauty and everything else in him, you're going to find it somewhere else. And nothing will be enough. There's no relationship that is secure enough. There's no experience that is secure enough. There's nothing that is fulfilling enough. Either him or something else. Worship is for him, but at the same time it's for us. It benefits us. Worship honors him, but it reminds us of who he is. Worship is about boasting about him, his splendor, his beauty. But at the same time, it convinces us that that splendor is what we need. His sufficiency, his love, his power, his presence. Worship is fitting for our hearts. So we talked about the act of worship, the heart of worship, and now finally the source of worship. Now, when I think about God's attributes... Um, I always, all the time, I ask myself this question. Why would God want to hang around with me? Like seriously, when you think about God's attributes, why would God want to be your God? If there's nothing we can give him, if he already has everything that he wants, and if he's self-sufficient, why would he want to be with us? Well, St. Augustine, I think it was St. Augustine that used to say, that within the Trinity, there was so much love that what they wanted to do when they created human beings was to share it with us. It's to share what they already had with us. It's to share their love with us. And I actually think that he was right. I think that he was right because of verse 19. Because God wanted us. Not because he needed us, but because he wanted us. He wanted to share what he already had. Verse 19 says, he has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. 
Notice that it was not Jacob looking for God. It was God revealing himself to Jacob. So Derek Kindred, which is one of the commentators, uh, excellent commentators in the book of Psalms, this is what he says. God, by addressing us, not programming us, he shows that he seeks a relationship, not simply a sequence of actions carried out. God does not wish to have my obedience as something which is valuable in itself. In other words, God is not looking for you just so you learn how to be obedient. This is what he says. He wants me. He doesn't just want my obedience. He wants me. Do you know why we worship? Because he wanted you. And this is where Jesus comes in. See, there's a couple of verses in the text that points you to the gospel. Verse 7, for example, it says, Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Notice that our praise is an act of gratitude. Because he wanted us. In verse 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him. The word fear is the admiration. It's admiration is because we admire him. Who put their hope in his unfailing love. Do you know why is it that we see that God is a redeemer? Not just because the Old Testament shows you that he's a redeemer, but because Jesus confirms it. The reason why, God, the reason why we know that God wanted us and wanted to be with us is because Jesus, the, uh, the second person of the Trinity, redemption per personified, became like one of us. He came to redeem us. He came to set us free. He came to destroy the power of sin and the penalty of sin. He became to be in our world. You know how we know that God cares? Because Jesus came and died and resurrected for you. This is how we know that Jesus cares. This is how we know that God cares. Because the cross proclaims it to you. You know how we know that God is always in control. That God commands and things happen. Because the promise of a Savior was rooted in Genesis chapter 3. And it took years and generations and his plans were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The reason why we know that God cares is because Jesus came, lived, died, and resurrected. The reason why we worship the Lord is not just because we have the God of the Old Testament. It's because we have the God of the Old Testament personified in Jesus Christ, magnified in Jesus Christ. The reason why we worship is because we have Jesus. We worship because who God is and what he does. It's, it's fitting because he's beautiful. The reason why we worship is out of gratitude and admiration. Because who God is and we have seen in Jesus Christ and gratitude for what Jesus did. The reason why we worship with our emotions and intellect and will is because we have Jesus. We have God in Jesus. The reason why we worship it's because God cares so much for us and wanted us so and so bad that that's why we're here. This is the only reason why you're a Christian if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian and you're exploring Christianity, remember this. Either you worship him or you're going to worship something else. And whatever you worship will never be enough. Amen? All right, so today we're going to do something different as, as Pastor Sergio said it before. We, we, uh, we're going to have an extended time of worship. 
All right? Now, remember, it's, you worship as you are. But my prayer is that you allow the Spirit uh, to work in your emotions and in your head together at the same time. Now, um, with that, then, I'm going to ask the worship team to come to the front, and um, I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you that your Bible does not divide people into charismatics or non-charismatics. Your Bible divides people between worshipers of God and worshipers of something else. I pray, Lord, that as a community of faith, as the tri-village community, you make of us worshipers in the spirit and in truth. There are emotions flow out of our understanding of who you are and what you have done. Because we have a God of unfailing love. A covenant God. Please reveal yourself to us again and allow us to respond to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.